Good morning, beautiful friends. Today, for some reason, my computer wouldn't work, so we know that there must be a message here that needs to be heard. It's just wonderful to be with you. Thank you for giving me time to rest last week, and I want to open in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this incredibly beautiful day. I plead your blood over the wavelengths that this message will be recorded clearly. I take authority over load shedding, that it will not come or go off while I'm preaching. I want to thank you for your anointing on my voice this morning. I thank you for just clarity of voice. And I thank you that you will anoint every word that comes from heaven today, that comes from the throne room today, in the mighty name of Jesus. It's wonderful to be with you again, friends. On Saturday, um, we, we had a lovely conference called uh, Living, Living Unashamed. And um, the ladies put on such an amazing conference and I was asked to join and I was asked to to share on living unashamed. So that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today, that God created us to live unashamed and that living unashamed means that we live in freedom and glory and in the power and the authority of being everything we've been created to be. Genesis 2 verse 24 and 25 says, Therefore man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So he's talking about the beauty of intimacy, of sexual intimacy, and the glory of a man and woman coming together and being united as one flesh before God. And that is the highest act of worship before God, when a husband and his wife come together in sexual unity before God. And then it goes on to say, and they were both naked, and the man and the woman, and were not ashamed. God created us not to have, the, um, to have times of intimacy, and he created us to have times of absolutely thoroughly enjoying each other, and he created us to be naked. And you know, as I thought about that, friends, I thought about the animals. You don't see an animal going around covering themselves up and, and making sure that nobody can look at them. Because they were created unashamed, but so were we. So what is shame? Shame is an emotion. It's in a feeling. It's a feeling that we feel embarrassed or we feel that we cannot express something or show something because we feel guilty of something. The definition from the Webster Dictionary says, shame is a condition of humiliation, disgrace or disrepute. The first time that we see the evidence of the feelings of shame in the word, is after Adam and Eve had sinned and partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Friends, it is the knowledge of evil. It's being exposed to evil. It is, it's coming into the presence of evil that releases shame. You know, I spoke a few months ago on the fact that, um, that shame, uh, that whenever there is shame in our lives, that it opens the door to three demons to take control. And if you haven't watched that, I really want to invite you to watch that. I went into far more detail about what shame looks like than I will do today. But I do want to talk to you today about recognizing when we're walking with shame in our life. The result of their nakedness was they could no longer stay in the presence of God. The enemy had opened their eyes to show them lustful nakedness. It was no longer pure nakedness. And to show them the feeling of being guilty and having to hide. We see in Genesis 3 verse 6 to 10. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among, uh, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you see what happened in that moment? Fear gripped, shame gripped, nakedness became a lustful thing instead of a pure thing. And it caused people to hide. They were aware of their nakedness and their sexuality. And now they were being lustful instead of being just the most incredible presence of beauty. They had to take control. So we see how the spirit of control had the right to come in because they had to do something. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. They had to cover up because of their nakedness. And so they isolated themselves. They pulled themselves apart and they had to hide because of fear. And friends, that is the curse of shame. That is what happens when we allow shame into our lives. The curse of shame that comes from Genesis 3 verse 15 is the curse that the, that the Lord spoke of the devil. He said this, I will put enmity, which is hostility, hatred, war between you, Satan, and the woman, and between her offspring and your offspring. And so we see, friends, that what happens the moment that we embrace shame, we come into agreement with the devil. He hates human beings. He hates anything made in the image of likeness of God, but he specifically hates women. He wants you to second guess yourself. He wants you to feel guilty all the self. He wants you to feel ashamed all, all the time. He wants you to know that he has made war with you. Shame occurs when we have unconfessed sin in our lives because the power of sin is in secrecy. So this is when we've done something. When we've done something wrong and we feel ashamed of it. The power of sin is in secrecy. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Wherever, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So Satan has power over you when you have a secret and where you carry shame. Then it's being feelings of shame because of something that happened to you. I was molested as a little girl. I suffered terribly from the shame, the guilt, which caused rebellion, rage, and anger because of what somebody else did to me. Friends, you've got to realize that what happens to us when we are under the age of accountability, we are not accountable for. God holds the person accountable that violated you. And yet with every person that's ever been molested or raped, and the incidence of, of that happening under the age of 12 is incredibly high. Because of all kinds of reasons, and so often it's family members. And then you want to cover and, and, and shut it down even more because you have the confusion of loving the person, but being ashamed of what's happened to you. And very often there's a threat. If you tell, no one's going to believe you. Or if you tell, the enemy, the person tells you that they will kill you, which I had in my case. The truth of the matter is, friends, shame has to be confessed. These things have to be confessed so that we do not get caught up in the lie of the devil and live in that place of shame for such a long time. There's also incredible shame with experiencing loss. And so many people have experienced loss during this COVID. You've lost your jobs, you've lost your homes, and there's shame, failure that comes on us. Friends, that's not the truth. 
In this world, we will have many troubles. So often the church puts shame on people because you know what? We love embracing perfect people, but we don't know what to do with people that are hot sore, broken, that have lost things, that don't know where to go, they don't know who to turn to. We don't know what to do with them. And so we, we reject them. We put shame on them. Friends, if you've lost anything, I want to break that shame off you today. God never said you would walk in, in perfect ease all the, rest, all the days of your life. He didn't give us a highway called grace. He gave us a narrow road with many twists and many turns. And why does God allow these things? He doesn't cause them. He's not the author of destruction. Satan is. But he allows it. Why, friends? Because he wants to prove through those times that he is faithful, that where we are weak, he is strong, that he is our provider, that he is our Lord. And it's only when you haven't got that you can stretch yourself in the area of faith. And friends, faith, faith without fear is powerful because faith without fear ushers in the supernatural. So we've got to deal with fear. It's feelings of failure because of not being good enough. And often that happens because you've compared yourself with other people. Friends, we're not there to compare ourselves with others. God has not made a cookie cutter called human being. He's made unique, fearfully and wonderfully made people with everyone with their own giftings, anointings and beautiful aspects of their life. And you cannot be compared to anybody else and you can't compare yourself to anybody else. Because at the end of the day, there's only one you. And when we find the joy of being who we were created to be, we live totally unashamed. It's hope deferred, friends. And this is something I've had to conquer in my life. Because I had great hope deferred at the loss of my marriage. I had trusted God so deeply for, for God to bring healing and restoration and breakthrough. And there was such hope deferred. But friends, you've got to allow God to do what he wants to do. Because even when your dreams have been shattered, even when your hopes have been shattered, God still has dreams and hopes for you. And he wants you to come back and to find the dreams and the hopes that he had. Because sometimes our dreams, which cause our hope deferred, it says makes the heart sick are not the dreams that God has got. Or it might be the outline of the dream that we've colored in and we've thought this is what it should look like and we've made an end solution to it, but that's not what it's going to look like. It's got a completely different picture and our hope is deferred because it didn't look like we thought it should look like. No, find God in it, friends. Find what God is doing. Find what God is saying. Find his dreams and let him heal the hope deferred of your own heart. We cannot find our significance in being compared to others. And unfortunately, that is what peer pressure is. That is exactly what happens when everybody does the same thing at the same time. Everybody paints their house gray because gray is the color of the season. Do you understand when you're always driven by peer pressure, you're always kept poor? Because you can never live in the place of satisfaction and contentment and joy and self-expression because you've got to keep changing everything to look like the next thing that the enemy has released because that way he keeps you poor. He keeps you in a place where you never really know who you are, what your identity is, what your fragrance is, what your perfume is, what your color is, what your vibrance is, what your expression is because you've got a cookie cutter with the rest of the world. Friends, it is evil. When we compare ourselves and try and live up to other people's expectations and boxes or live up to peer pressure, which is at every age is not an age without peer pressure. 
And it's not being contented. It's not being contented with who you are. Wherever you are not contented with who you are, shame comes in. If you are not contented with who we love, shame comes in. If we're not contented with what we have, shame, shame comes in. And if we're not contented with being unique and fearfully made and being different to those around us, shame comes in. We have to know that. It is vital to find the peace of shame. Friends, shame is an emotion, but the moment that we embrace it, come into agreement with it, if the moment we do that, we end up drawing in three demons. The first thing is the spirit of deception. Every single thing you're going to believe about yourself and about the way you see life is going to be deceived because a demon, a stronghold called deception, has taken a hold with falsehood and lies and he's lying to you. The second thing is the spirit of control comes in. They had to do something. And so the result of shame means I have to do something. If I don't do something, I'm not worthy. Friends, it's not by might or power, but it's by my spirit. We don't do something to solve a problem. We hear God and we're obedient to what he tells us to do. That is how we live as spirit-led and not emotionally-led Christians. And so, or, and fear comes in. So the cycle is that deception comes in. It brings control into the situation. Control says I'm not winning, which brings fears into the situation. How do you know when you're driven by a spirit of fear? Because you're always thinking with regret about yesterday. Or you're thinking with anxiety about tomorrow. God has given us today, friends, today. We've got to live today, present. We've got to find joy, peace, delight, and happiness in today. And if you live today in the fullness of God, the outfolding of today will mean a successful tomorrow. Do what he's told you to do today. The spirit of deception attacks our thoughts and starts taking control. It says in Psalm 7 verse 14, he travails, which means he's pregnant with or he's bound to iniquity. That means trouble, wickedness, sorrow, shame, and has conceived mischief, which means worry of mind and body and brought forth deception. Friends, when you are pregnant with sin, when you are pregnant with shame, when you are pregnant with what's happened to you and you haven't dealt with it, the result is that, that you will pray on it and you will, you will think on it. You will, you will continue. It will grow bigger and bigger and bigger with, and the result will be anxiety and worry in your body. And so we have to look at that. And then we end up with an orphan heart, which believes that we have to please God. And if we don't please God, he's going to punish us. That's what an orphan heart does, friends. It believes in the God of just enough or not enough, but it does not believe that God is who he says he is, the God of abundance. How do you know when control has come in? Well, it's either dominating people, trying to dominate them and force them to do what you want them to do, or manipulating people, suddenly making them feel guilty for not meeting your needs and for not being who you, who you think they should be, and so you manipulate them. Or you seduce them, you use your body to get what you want. Or the outworking of it is perfectionism. Now where there's perfectionism, friends, it's covering shame. And where there's perfectionism, you expect everybody else to be perfect. And if they've not, then you disqualify them in your heart. Because in your heart, you feel disqualified. How do you know when the spirit of fear is there, friends? Well, the first thing that happens is it comes against your identity. The word phobos is described in Romans 8 verse 15 is the form of fear that is terror, panic attacks, anxiety, stress, 
and that comes your, against your identity. God says he's not made us a slave to fear, but he's adopted us as sons. We are adopted as children of God. And that means that we have a dad who's full of abundant life, who wants to pour himself into our life. But fear causes us to believe, worry, anxious, I've got to do something. I'm the one that's got to solve my problem. What if, what if, and what if is always terribly negative. It's not truth, friends. It's deception. And you're reading life through the wrong spirit. And you've allowed another spirit to take control. And it also comes against our calling. Because our calling is described in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, where it says, God has not made us a slave to fear, to delia, but he's given us love, agape love, the fullness of the Father's love, power, the Holy Spirit's supernatural dunamis power, and a sound mind, the mind of Christ, friends. What is that type of fear? It's called being cowardice, being fearful, fearful of men, being timid, being shy. No, you can never rise up and be who God's called you to be if you are riddled with delia fear, a cowardice, fearful. What do people think about me? Fear. And so we've got to understand how this comes against us all the time. Friends, God has never changed the plan that he has for you. It says in Genesis 1, 7, 27 to 28. So God created mankind in his image, in his own image and likeness, he created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Friends, we are not meant to shrink back, to hide, to isolate ourselves. We're meant to be fruitful. And what does that mean? Multiply, have children, and then pour yourself out. Everything you are and in everything you are, grow and multiply. We're meant to be reproducing more of ourselves wherever we go. That is the commission of God. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it and rule over it. Friends, we are meant to subdue the earth. We're meant to usher in the kingdom of heaven. That means our calling is one with authority and boldness that can do these things. We need to multiply ourselves, but you will never multiply anything about yourself if you have shame that cripples you. And then, friends, we to rule over creation, not people. Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. God says, follow me, I'm life and I'm prosperous. John 10, 10 says, the enemy comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. What is the promise of God over your life, friends? That he wants you to increase, to multiply. Fear will always call you to shrink. Fear will always cause you to get less, to make sure that there's nothing that you need to control because you can't control a lot. Ladies were created to be gatherers, to have perfume, to have fragrance, to be homemakers. Not to have everything so incredibly plain and ordinary that there's no place for life and life in abundance in your home. People need to walk into your home and into your presence and see your fragrance, your perfume, your color, your, your passions. But fear and the enemy's deception will always cause you to shrink and hide and be depleted to nothing. How do we know when we have an orphan spirit, friends, we live in this place of not enough or just enough? Spiritually, we beg God for everything. Emotionally, we're suspicious and guarded and we cannot get involved in relationships in case we get hurt. Physically, 
We don't know how to be demonstrative. We don't know how to be how to be affectionate. We don't know how to express our love. So we just put up, I don't like to be hugged. I don't know. No, no, no. What you're saying is there's shame in your heart and you don't know how to demonstrate God through freely giving love. And financially, we become stingy. We have pockets with holes in them. There's never enough. That is a poverty spirit that has taken a hold because of fear, friends. We have to recognize it. We've got to break its power and we've got to be released from it. God is generous in every way. Spiritually, he pours out his spirit on all flesh. Emotionally, he gives of himself to anybody and to everybody. He's incredibly affectionate physically, friends. You just have to come into the presence of God and you can feel him holding you. You can feel him being close to you. You can feel him breathing on you. You can feel his presence all over you. He's incredibly affectionate. And then friends, financially, he's a God that always gives more than enough. What did he do with the five loaves and fishes, friends? What did he do with the 12 loaves? He multiplied it until there was so much left over they could have fed everybody again. That's the God we serve, friends. And if you have come under a poverty spirit and a just enough spirit or not enough spirit, you need to come before the Father and say, I recognize this. And I ask you to break it off me and show me the shame that I've got in my life. God is incredibly generous. Fear will cause us to shrink in our dreams. God says dream big. That we cannot go where God has asked us to do because of fear. That we cannot multiply ourselves because of fear. We shrink back. We don't allow our talents and the glory and the beauty of our character to overflow, so that which is infectious, so that others can grow from it. We cannot trust God to give us abundant life. We cannot risk because we don't have the faith to step out in risk. We cannot flow freely in who we are and what God's given us because we fear the opinion of man. And we cannot rise up as sons of God. Friends, do you understand that when Jesus hung on that cross, he took everything upon himself. He took your shame upon himself. He took your guilt upon himself. He took everything you've ever done upon himself. He took everything that, that you were ever going to go through upon himself so that in every situation you can go and drink deep and be restored quickly and to come into healing quickly. Bad things happen to, to good people. Don't allow shame to grip you and think there's something wrong with you. No, if God has allowed it to touch your life, it's because he thinks so highly of you that he knows with you and him together, you are going to conquer this. The thing is, it's with you and him together. He was not the one that sewed the fig leaves. In fact, he made garments of animal skin. Let him make your garments. Let him be the one that shows you, guides you, and then only do what he tells you to do. But you have to listen, and you've got to break the deception that he's a God of just enough, and, and that if you do not please him, he's not going to come through for you. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God friends he's taken your shame you don't have to do anything to try and cover it up he's got it you just have to say to the enemy I'm not coming into agreement with you anymore 
How do we live unashamed, friends? By having an incredible, intimate, beautiful relationship with Father, with Son Jesus, the lover of our soul, and with the Holy Spirit. By growing deeper and deeper and deeper so that every bit of shame can be exposed, revealed, and brought to the cross and removed. And we can live free of that shame. Knowing we are truly saved through the blood of Jesus. And that word saved means sozo. And it means to be saved, to be rescued, to be delivered from judgment. To be delivered from demons. To be restored, to be healed and restored to health. To be protected, to make whole body, soul and spirit. Mind, strength and soul. And to be a new creation. Friends, judgment brings shame, which brings hiding. I command the judgment that's come on you to loose you because it happened at the cross. You are not being judged. God looks at you through the blood of the Lamb. You have been redeemed. Knowing our identity as a child of God and that we deeply loved and that can only come through intimate times with the father knowing that not only are we loved but we are wanted and he wants to flow through us he wants to use you you don't want him to use you as much as he wants to use you and that we are treasured and friends that you can never ever fail that's what living unashamed means you can never fail if you do something wrong he says okay let's just try that again what do you do with your children do you condemn them the first time they walk after they've crawled or do you help them up and let them try it again? That's what he does with us. He says, oops, that wasn't so good. Let's do it again. But he never, ever, ever says you have failed. Our identity and our significance has to come from knowing God. It's finding our significance in being a child of God and in not what we do. Friends, what you do is temporary. It'll come and it'll go. What your talents are is temporary. They'll come and they'll go. Well, your abilities are temporary. They'll come and you'll go. The older you get, maybe your movements and less that, the less that you can do things. You don't have the same drive and passion and ability anymore. But that's not your significance. Your significance is in being a child of God. That's our significance. We are enough. Even when we're not perfect. Even when we're not feeling victorious. Even when we are weak, for that is where he is strong. Our significance comes in what we give away, friends. Once you know who you are, and the more that you just flow, just flow, just flow, the more you will feel significant. Because there's nothing more powerful than coming to the end of the day and knowing, sure, somebody's life was changed because of me today. It's in our creativity. The more creative you are, the more your food, your soul, and the more people are fed, their souls are fed by your creativity. That's why art needs to be given away. Or sold, whatever, but it needs to belong to other people. And music needs to be given away. And everything that we've got needs to go out there to other people. It's, it's multiplying ourselves, friends. Why? Because every time somebody else's life has been changed and, 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 and affected and blessed by your creativity, your significance has just increased. Our talents need to be given away. Our character gifts, you know, it talks very clearly about character gifts in, in Romans 12. And it says, if you're a teacher, teach. If you can teach, teach. Who do you teach? Anybody, whoever wants to listen. What do you teach them? Teach them the truths of the gospel. You can teach them anything, but make sure it's according to the truths of the gospel. 
You can take whatever you qualified in and make sure that it's according to the truth of the gospel and teach it. If you teach one, two, five, twenty, a hundred, a million people, it makes no difference. If you can teach, teach. If you can encourage, encourage. Friends, every person needs encouragement. If you're an encourager, pick up your phone in the morning and say, God, which 10 people can I encourage today? And send them a message of encouragement. If you do that every day before you know it, friends, your shame will disappear. And your significance of being this unique person will just come into full bloom. If you're a mercy, be merciful. Who must I be merciful to? Well, I can tell you now, little children need merciful people. They need people with patience that can listen for hours. Old people need merciful people. The old age homes are full of people suffering with dementia. Why? Because no one ever listens to them. No one ever talks to them. No one ever spends time with them. Go volunteer an hour of your day and go somewhere and go minister to people sitting who are burning and dying of loneliness. And just go and be merciful to them. If you can serve, serve. Who do you serve? Whoever. Whoever needs your help, serve them. And you can make a life out of serving. Advertise yourself of somebody that's a handyman that can come and do your handiwork at a price that is affordable and not ridiculous. And then go and help. There are many, many, many people living alone. I'm a woman living on my own. It would be so wonderful to know that I've got a contact to say, I'm really needing you to come and serve me. What would it cost to replace the globes in my house, which are too high in my ceiling? Those are things you can do to serve other people. If you can lead, lead. How do you know if you're a leader? People are following you. How do you know if you're not a leader? No one's following you. Please don't say you're a leader without follow people following you because then you just have a fantasy in your head. If you're a giver, give. Friends, what does it mean to give? If you've got two, give somebody else one. And if you can prophesy, prophesy. And the way we prophesy, friends, is to exhort, to comfort and encourage and speak life. If you are, take your character gifts and Give them away. Friends, isolation and withdrawing has only ever killed people with depression and miserable and, and feelings of unworthy and unloved. But you'll be surprised how loved you are when you just start being and overflowing. Every gift that comes from God has a grace and it's incredibly easy for you to do. That's how you know you've got it. If it's difficult, it's not your gift and it's not your grace. No grace, there's no grace and weakness. There's absolutely no grace in our weaknesses, friends. There's only grace in our strengths. Because Jesus says, where you are weak, that is where I am strong. I am rushing it because I know the lights are going to go out just now and I'm trying to get the message across to you. We have to find our significance, firstly, in being a child of God. And then secondly, in who we are overflowing so that other people's lives benefit mightily by the little wonderful you that you are. We've got to learn to live contented, friends. You know, the, 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 they've done a study that says gratitude and anxiety cannot exist in the brain at the same time. So you either choose to be grateful and recognize the little things that God has done that's so wonderful, or you choose to be anxious. You make the choice. But if you're anxious, you're only ever going to see what the enemy's done. But if you're grateful, you're only ever going to see what God has done. Be grateful with who you are. Be grateful with what you have. Be grateful with who you love. Celebrate you. Be happy with the uniqueness of you. Stop worrying about what other people think of you. Stop worrying about what you could be or should be or haven't got. Or stop. I walk around my house every day and I just thank God. I'm so grateful. A, that I can breathe. That I've got life. 
that I can actually move and have my being. And then I thank him for all the little desires in my heart that he's given me. Friends, there's so much to be grateful for. You choose anxiety or gratefulness. You choose living present. Don't live in yesterday. Yesterday's full of regrets. Yesterday is also a training time. Yesterday is also how God trained you for today. Don't live there. The devil will only tell you of the regrets. Don't live in tomorrow. God hasn't revealed it yet. So the only thing you'll know about tomorrow is the deception the devil's telling you, which will always be anxiety. Live today, friends, and let God unfold tomorrow. That's what is, uh, Matthew 6 verse 33 is all about. Enjoy the people in your life today. Enjoy the places where you are today. Enjoy the work that you have today. Oh, but Kathy, it's so hard. It's, you've got work. There are people whose lives are going to be injected with faith because you're there. There's joy because you've got work. You've got an income at the end of the month. Don't look at all the negative things. Change your vision. And see the truth about the anointing and the glory that God has postponed on your life. Every blessing has pressure. You can look for the pressure. You can look for the blessing. Enjoy smelling the roses today. Take time to see the beauty around you. To find joy in the day. Take time to praise God. Even in tough times. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Why? That's gratitude, friends. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you in Christ Jesus is not negative circumstances. God's will for you in Christ Jesus is to give thanks because he's in them and he's going through them. And he will carry you and he will guide you and he will help you and he will lead you and he will increase wisdom in your life. I am, I am so grateful to God for the terrible things of my past. Because every one of them have become a glorious testimony and have added wisdom. I have learned so much. I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many things wrong. But I've grown, I've learned, and I've become a better person because of yesterday. I have no regret. Friends, we've got to live in the fullness of giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then, friends, dream his dreams. You're never too old to dream. His dreams for you have never changed. It says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for good and hope and a future. Friends, dream his dreams. But Kathy, I'm too old. I'm too young. You're never to anything. If there's breath in your life, if there's air in your lungs, and if you can still walk and move, then dream his dreams. He's got big dreams for you. And if your dreams are small and you can make them happen, they're not God's dreams. Only God can make God's dreams in your life happen. Dream his dreams for you. Every day doing one thing for someone else, I've already mentioned before, is living fully contented and living unashamed giving away is always there's always a reward and significance in giving away and you always feel great access uh, x 20 verse 35 says it's more blessed to give than to receive friends you get blessed when you give when you're always waiting for someone to encourage you for someone to say something to you for someone to give you you have hope deferred give give 
when we give in any way we receive now there's two types of shame that come upon us the one is the inner voice and that's when we're placing shame on ourselves because of what's happened in the past because of what people have said especially parents or mothers or family members that have spoken things over you and it keeps coming back and it's the voice in your head sayings of worthlessness you're a failure you're not loved it's self-condemnation it's guilt it's feelings of, 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 of always feeling tormented the moment you're alone you're tormented you feel guilty for something you don't even know what you're guilty of that is the inner voice of shame friends it says in revelations 12 verse 10 the accuser accuses people before our god day and night the enemy our accuser is using you to accuse yourself with the inner voice of shame and then there's the exterior voice of shame and that causes us to worry about negative things that others might have of us and that is the accuser using other people either physically or what you've seen or what you think you saw or the look they gave you or the rejection they gave you and it's using other people to accuse you and those are the two voices of shame friends and then there's three types of shame the one is bodily shame and that came in with even adam being being ashamed of their bodies it's a shame of nakedness it's a shame about your weight it's a shame about your body shape <coughs> your physical attributes and other aspects of your physical body friends there's only one perfect body and it's the one you're living in you are perfect for you and it doesn't matter what your flaws are you are a bundle and when people see the bundle of you they are attracted to your fragrance and they're attracted to everything that's within you <coughs> now you know nobody notices another person's flaw if what's oozing out of them is love and love and joy and peace and glory but if you are hiding and you inward looking excuse me <coughs> And all you are ever looking at is what you're ashamed of then you will draw their attention to that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if your little nose is a blob on your head it doesn't matter if your ears are big it doesn't matter if your your eyes are tiny it doesn't matter if your smile is skewed it doesn't matter if your hips are big it doesn't matter if you're short if you're tall it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're dark or you like you are a bundle and when people are presented with all of you they are presented into the fragrance of who you are make sure your fragrance is sweet and don't zero in on body shame and then there's behavior shame that's a shame of what you should have done or you could have done in the past and that is mulling over and brooding over and being tormented over repeatedly over yesterday and what you did wrong and what you should have said and what you could have said and that's when you're having this war in your head and you're going over things over and over again the next time i see them i'm going to say this and this and this or i should have done that why didn't i do that and that is behavior shame friends and the third type of shame is um, character logical shame and that is when you when you come into agreement with a type of character or type of personality that you think is shameful and you compare yourself to that all the time for example doing something and saying well i'm just add or i'm just ocd and labeling yourself with a type of person having shame about aspects of your personality and inherent flaw or weakness it's a certain type of person and believing that that type of person is unworthy of being loved and then you compare yourself in conversation 
to that type of person. You have a stigma because you think that is a stigma. And so, friends, it's incredibly important to recognize the shame. What is the lie? The lie the enemy is saying that nobody must know about it. No one must find out about it. I've got to silence. I've got to reject it. I've got to cover up. I've got to make sure nobody knows. That's the lie. The truth of the matter is that the moment that anything comes into the light, it's no longer a shame. It's no longer a problem. We take the dagger of shame out of our back and we've got a sword in our hand. And it becomes a sword of our testimony, friends. And the moment that you hold the sword of your testimony and you open the closet and you expose the things that have hidden shame in your heart, the moment that you do that, friends, you destroy the enemy. The Bible says the accuser accuses people before our God day and night. And the very next verse says, we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Friends, the moment that you bring it into the light, suddenly you carry the power, you carry the authority, the blood of Jesus has covered you, and you are able to set other people free because that is no longer shameful. There's no stigma in that. Friends, there's no stigma in the trauma and pain you've had to walk through. There's only the glory of a testimony covered in the blood of Jesus. Now, shame affects our mental health and the result is of mental illness because it affects the way we think. And this is an article taken from a, a choosing therapy um, article on, on psychology. All emotions and psychological problems are related to distinct changes in the way the person thinks and feels and behaves. Persistent shame is closely linked with a poor self-image and a poor self-esteem and an overall negative self-concept which together reflect the foundation of a person's identity and affect all aspects of what they think, they feel, and they do. Shame is most often observed in people with depression, anxiety, anger, trauma, personality disorders, eating disorders, substance abuse, self-harm, and suicide. Some of the characteristic patterns of um, thought and emotions and behavior noted in people and i'm just going to read a few thinking more critically about the failure is a thought negative and self-critical thoughts brooding on past failures this is written in their article underestimating their own abilities and strengths personality negative traits and experiences being suspicious and distrusting of others anticipating a dreadful future failures or rejection and being overly focused on self and less aware of others. Those are the thoughts of shame. What are the feelings of shame? Feeling embarrassed, feeling humiliated, feeling that you've got to hide and withdraw from others, feeling small, feeling weak, feeling frozen, unsettled stomach, a feeling of nausea and being sick, feeling numb, detached or discontented from the present. Feeling overstimulated and hypervigilant or overly sensitive. Feeling irritable, impulsive or on edge. Feeling moody or being moody or emotionally unstable. Those are the feelings, friends. If you're suffering with these thoughts or these feelings, you are in shame. What is the behavior? Self-destruction, like alcohol abuse and drug abuse. Isolation, avoiding and withdrawing from others. Defensiveness, pushing people away, not letting the guard down. Avoiding unfamiliar and challenging situations. It's self-sabotage, 
making sure that things don't work out because you don't want to have the shame at the end compromising or settling for less because of fear of failure not standing up for oneself or voicing one's needs or pretending or misinterpreting one um to conceal shame or part it's it's deceiving it's lying to people to conceal shame or shameful parts friends self-condemnation and self-harm include things like cutting bulimia binge eating vomiting anorexia overeating secret eating substance abuse drinking etc wherever there's shame people will attack others because of the depression that they're attacking themselves with there will be fear anger and disgust and distress they will hide and isolate themselves and they will hide and isolate themselves in an addiction now i want to pray for you today and this has been my rush i've got a few minutes before i think the lights are going to go out but the first thing i want to pray about friends i've said a lot and you might have to listen to this a few times to be able to catch up with me because i was talking fast but the first thing I want to pray for those that have been self-harming themselves. We come honestly before our Father today. And I just want to ask you right now. Just come before the Father right now. If you've self-harmed yourself, if you've cut yourself, even in the past and you've never actually spoken about it. If you have been bulimic, if you've been anorexia. And I know with all of these, we hide it, we lie about it, we say it's not the truth, but it is the truth and you know it's the truth. If you overeat, and that was one of the things I used to do. I used to eat and eat and eat because I thought if I was fat, I would make people not look at me. Because that was the only way that I could stop the onslaught of the spirit of lust that was coming against me in those early years. Until I was delivered of that. And then I was no longer a victim to that and I could take control of my life. If it's secret eating... You tell everybody else you're not, but you are. If it's substance abuse, drugs, sleeping tablets, painkillers, whatever. Friends, you've self-harmed. You've caused pain to your body. And I'm going to pray for you right now. <clears throat> Repenting for deliberately harming yourself in any way. Do you know by doing so that you've come into agreement with the devil to be the accuser of you? And do you know by doing so you have verbally and emotionally abused yourself if somebody else did this to you it would be a criminal offense you've done it to yourself god i ask you forgiveness for self-harming for self-abuse i ask my body to forgive me for harming me i ask you to break the trauma of my body where i have abused it i ask you father to bring healing to the areas of my heart and my life and my flesh that I have harmed. I ask you, Father, to break the blood covenant that I've established with the enemy by cutting myself. I ask you, Father, to break the curse that I've spoken over myself and the legal right that I've given the enemy to steal, to kill, and to destroy my life. I break the power of negative words that I've spoken over my body and my soul and my mind. I command the spirit of death to leave that I gave a right when I chose to bring harm to my body. I ask you, please, in the name of Jesus, to forgive me. I ask you to break this curse and set me free. 
And I ask you, Jesus, to cover me by the power of the blood and to fill me with your spirit and to give me a fresh anointing to love myself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I ask this in the beautiful name of my wonderful King Jesus. Amen. Friend, if you've been an agent of shame that has had to shame others because of what you hide in your own heart, I want you today to repent. Tragically, at some point of time, we've all been agents of shame because we've all been guilty of shaming others. Because what you feel inside comes out of your mouth. We have, we've been guilty of shaming others because of their own personality traits that we've been ashamed of. We've been thinking about, I want you to please think about who you have shamed, when you shamed them, and how you shamed them. Who you gossiped about, who you spoke about, who you judged, even in your own thoughts. Even in your own thoughts, thinking, I wouldn't do it like that. Or don't you think they look terrible? Even in your own thoughts, you brought judgment on yourself. Father God, I come before you today and I confess that I've been carrying shame in my heart. I confess that I've allowed my heart full of shame to overflow and to affect the lives of family, friends and other people around me. I'm so sorry that I've believed that I need to be perfect and therefore put expectations of perfect on others. I'm so sorry that I've allowed the fear that gripped my heart to limit and shrink the plans and dreams of others and to stop them from being all that you have created them to be. I'm so sorry that I've criticized other people, especially in the areas that I feel a failure or inadequate. I'm so sorry that I've cursed people with the power of negative words that I have spoken over them. I'm so sorry that I've not celebrated the uniqueness and the freedom of the people around me but expected them to fit into my expectations. I'm so sorry that I've, been, um, that I've been caught up in conversations, breaking other people down, gossiping and coming into agreement with the conversations and speaking negatively about them. <clears throat> I'm so sorry that I have judged people, even just in my own thoughts, when disagreeing with their choices and the way they do things, feeling that I could have done it like this or like that, and not realizing by doing so, I've come into agreement with the accuser. Please forgive me for judging, for criticizing, for condemning, and for cursing them. Jesus, you said if you even think it, you're doing it. I am so sorry. Please forgive me for not respecting them, for thinking less of them than you do. I'm so sorry for not recognizing that they are your treasured children please forgive me please break the power of my negative words and the shame that i've released on others please break any curse that i've spoken over others and break the power of the legal rights that i have established against me through my judgment of others please help me to guard my thoughts and my tongue from here on out your word says if i've judged others i bring judgment on myself Please forgive me. I ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I ask you to cover me by the power of his blood. Amen. 
Now I command the spirit of Python that attached to your heart, your soul, your mind or your strength, the spirit of judgment and death that comes with judgment to loose you now as you have repented and for the freedom of thought, of mind and of body to pour through you through the power of the blood of Jesus. And now friends, I'm going to ask you to deal with the shame. Whatever secret shame you've been carrying for such a long time, whatever you felt you've needed to cover up and to hide because you've listened to the deception of the devil, I'm going to ask you to bring it into the light. Just spend time with Jesus. Come into his presence. Spend time in prayer. And just say, God, I want to confess before you the shame. I want to hand over to you the unforgiveness that I felt against what was done to me. I want to release the shame of what happened. I want to release the shame of being a failure in the past. I want to ask you to forgive me and to help me going forward. Bring it into the light, friends. Confess it and repent. We have to bring it to Jesus, give it to him and encounter the Father's love, recognizing that we've been believing a lie. Get some paper, spend time in your quiet time, get some scripture and just bring it to him. Have time with the Father and let him wash you clean. You know, it says in Psalm 32, verse 1 to 6, Blessed is the one whose transgressions <clears throat> are forgiven, whose sins are covered by Jesus. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bone wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand of displeasure was heavy on me. My strength was set as in the heat of the day. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. The Amplified says, unfolded the past until all was told and did, and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Friends, sin is what you've done wrong. Iniquity is patterns of sin that come through the bloodline. It's patterns of sin that we've been following through the culture and through the bloodline that do not align with the word of God. And you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Take time to encounter Jesus. Tell him the shame that you have felt. Give him the shame that you have felt. Ask him what he's going to give you in return and let him birth that within you. Ask our Father to flood you and to overwhelm you with his love and acceptance. As you start feeling the release, ask him who you can trust to confess and to tell so that the power of shame is removed and broken. If you need to forgive somebody for what has happened to you, then please do so. In that moment with the Father and bless them and hand them over to God. The Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to you. Give it to them. Give them to him. Allow him to come in and to break soul ties with that person so that you are free of the emotional, the sexual and the physical soul ties that have kept you in this prison, this spider's web of shame. Then find somebody spiritually stronger than you. And go and say, I just need to bring something into the light that I've dealt with with the Father. And I want you to pray for me. James 5 verse 16. 
we confess our sins one to another and he prays for us so they pray for us the prayer the right the fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much broken spend time in praise and worship celebrate your freedom break bread with jesus just allow him to wash you clean and then very importantly friends never ever allow that condemnation in this area to take a hold again it does not exist it has been severed it has been wiped out at the power of the blood learn to take your thoughts captive 2 corinthians 10 verse 4 to 6 say no you may not have my thoughts and you